Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome back to the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast, first pod of the 2020 NRL Supercoach season. Joining me tonight is actually going to be the first special guest of the year. Wilfred is going to co-host, past champion, and host himself of the NRL Supercoach Champions podcast, which is a great one as well. Does that with Guy, who's now the former champion since uh, someone's taken over from him last NRL season. So Wilfred, welcome aboard. Thanks for jumping on as, as my guest for this pod. No, it's a pleasure, Vanzi. Thanks for having me back on. I think we did the preseason pod last year and similar teams as well, so I'm looking forward to diving in to the same teams again. Yeah, for sure. It's um like we were chatting about before, it's coming around very quickly this um, NRL season. It's not very far away. Um, some of the content's starting to get up, which is great. It's been a really good off season. I've managed to have a couple of months off, not really thinking too much about it. But once December hit, I kind of got stuck straight back into the super coach roundabout of <laughs> waiting for prices to come out, starting to try and calculate some of them myself and all that sort of thing. Have you pretty much taken off? You were saying that you are pretty much been into the NFL mode, so you haven't had much time to get into NRL yet. Yeah, this this off-season, I definitely threw myself into the NFL fantasy a bit more. Uh, for good for good reason, I had a pretty successful off-season, um, won a couple of cash leagues and some casual leagues as well, so... Uh, pretty pretty stoked about that and yeah really enjoyed the NFL as well but since the price I mean the the team picker came out I've I've only really actually made one team and changed a couple of players only just today because of the Kalen Ponga goal kicking news <laughs> uh, aside from that I've barely touched it and I think it's been good for me I've been looking at players and just being able to analyze a bit more rather than getting too caught up in trying to fit them into my team and, and things like that where I feel like you know if I've managed to wrestle it into a draft team of mine, I might uh, maybe maybe subconsciously I, I favor them or whatever. But yeah, it's been good to kind of look at players more objectively. I feel this off season for me so far. Yeah, I agree as well. I, I only did one team initially on Christmas Eve, um, and I think I sent a post out to a couple of the guys in one of our groups and said, "Oh, my family's all asleep and I've got nothing else to do, and it's Christmas Eve." So I. I jumped on and made a team in about eight minutes, which is a record time for me. Uh, and I actually didn't mind the look at the team. I thought I actually did all right. And I haven't really changed it much since. I've more been looking at players as well. So um, a little bit different to prior years. So we'll see if it pays off because for you, I mean, you shouldn't be doing anything different. You should just be doing whatever you did five years ago and you can be champion again. But for me, I, I haven't taken the act yet, so I've got to try something <laughs> different every year. Guy and I uh, did a recording just earlier and we were actually talking about how really the last two years since they got rid of the third big buy round things have kind of changed and we've noticed that and it was really more apparent this year that the older strategies really don't work anymore and you can almost adopt like a full head-to-head approach and actually do really well this year i felt like there were more and more people who you know might be head-to-head specialists who doing cash leaks and all that uh like you know 200 dollar buy-ins that kind of pretty decent size uh, cash league, but then they'll be messaging mid-season going, oh, look, I'm in the top 50, top 100. Is it worth trying to go for the 50K? Uh, I found like that was a lot more prevalent this year, and it might just be because of the fact that you know the head-to-head strategy could be much more viable 
Yeah, I agree 100%. I found the same thing as well. I chatted to Billy about it last year um, a few times on the podcast as well. I found it personally as a really difficult season because I always like to play head-to-head and overall. Yeah. And I kind of hedge my bets a little bit. And, you know, in years past, particularly before the last two years, I found that I've been able to do really well in head-to-head and it hasn't really affected any overall push, even if it's for goals of, you know, top 1,000 or whatever, if I'm not doing that well. I've still been able to do relatively well in, in, in that and still take out a heap of head-to-head comps. The last two years, and last season in particular, massively failed for me. I ended up getting to about, well, around 10, and um, I was just way behind the eight ball on, um, on overall, and I took a couple of swings that didn't hit, and I went, okay, fine. And then I turned around to my head-to-head comps, and I was so far behind in head-to-head as well that it became really hard. So then I switched to head-to-head, basically changed all of my strategy and, and trainings for head-to-head for that sort of six-week period between like round 12 and, and 18 or whatever. And I got smashed in head-to-head anyway. And then I <laughs> and then I got smashed in overall anyway. And then I just ended up going terrible in both. I think I had nine competitions of head-to-head, and I made two grand finals and won one. And one of nine isn't something that I'm proud of at all. It's probably the worst I've ever done since I played fantasy sports in any sport. So it was a tough season if you wanted to do both, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that so many of the head-to-head teams did quite well on the buy still. And I don't know whether that's just the the players that were available. I mean, like, I planned for the buys and I got smashed because all these buy coverage players pulled out and I had a whinge about it last year already. And then a few times I've mentioned it since, but (laughs) it it really seems to, you know, I think, I think especially for round 16, I lost like five guys, you know, that's, that's horrible. Like it's just so, you know, it's 300 points there potentially. And from an overall perspective, it hurts, but you know, I've burned so many trades to do that. And then these guys who didn't bother ended up with the same number of players as I did anyway, with a bunch more trades in hand, which they can then use late in the season. So, yeah, it, it certainly hurt a lot this year, I think, with the buy planning. Uh, so I can only imagine that you trying to juggle all those things could have, couldn't have gone that well for you. Because, I mean, for me, I always want to have three, four trades for the finals, for the head-to-head finals. But yeah. I never have that if I'm playing overall as well. So, you know... Full credit to you to, to manage to, to pull off a grand final win despite having a go harder overall. So Yeah, it was only one from nine, so I'm not going to screw it too much. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting season, this one. Um, what we're going to do with the podcast, guys, is we're going to go through um, each squad and have a look at the Supercoach relevant players in each one and have a bit of a deep dive into them. Um, particularly uh, today, we're going to go through the Roosters, the Broncos, and also the Melbourne Storm. So three relative powerhouse clubs. Um, and with those, we're pretty much, we're going to target the guns, we're going to target those that are risks, we're going to target the big balls pods, which we always like to do. We're going to target the, the, um, the cash opportunity, whether that be a mid, um, a cash cow, a rookie, and then we're going to have a look at some others in those teams. So we'll go through across those three squads. Going forward, we'll probably end up having about five preseason podcasts. I'll try and release them as fast as I can. Uh, with a few different guests across those ones, and we'll go through all the teams, and at the end, if we've got time before the season kickoff, we'll do an overall sort of team build and strategy talk as well. So for today, though, let's um, jump straight into the Roosters, because they're not only my team, they are the defending premiers, so I guess Wilfred, they uh, should get first crack, shouldn't they? Surely. Ah, oh, look, yeah, 
I w- I'm not going to argue with, that, with you on that one, being you know the host <laughs> of the podcast plus a Mad Roosters fan. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right, great stuff. Well, let's have a look at the squad first. So um, new faces, the Roosters don't have too many. They've really only got Kyle Flanagan that's come in. Um, with the losses, Cooper Cronk retired, um, Zane Sherdavano has gone to the Panthers, and no one else really of note other than some mug called Latrell Mitchell, who's, who really he was a second grader anyway, wasn't he? Wilfred? He's not much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these, these Roosters fans, right? You know. I heard he's actually going to sign with the Australian Open and play tennis as well. So, And I think that the... Uh, the 49ers were going to sign him for their, their playoff run next week. So he's, he's, he's in a, a few rumour mills to sign with a few clubs. I still don't believe that he's with the Rabbitohs, so we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, Mitchell's going to be an obviously a big loss. It's going to leave a hole. Um, so is Kronk as well for the Roosters, but not really for Supercoach. Um, so one of the clear things is that there's a couple of key holes in that starting 13 for the Roosters, and that normally means uh, opportunity for Supercoach, which is something you always want to look at. Overall for the season, let's, have, let's start off with um, the gun talk. And when we're talking about guns for the Roosters side, the first guy that comes to everyone's mind is going to be James Tedesco. Wilfred, he's coming in at 781k to start with him, um, but he averaged 84.1 points a game. With his numbers, if we take a quick look, he had a high of 155, a low of 23, but that 23 is in round one. Um, and his first two months, I know that you've mentioned before, you know, he starts off slow um, often, um, and you can sort of talk to that a little bit in a minute, but his first two months of football, he still averaged 68. Even though that's a little slow, 68 is pretty good. His last two months of the season, he actually averaged 103 points, and of that last two months, his lowest score was 78. So that gives you a little bit of an idea about how much of a gun that uh, Tedesco is. Um, as far as a bit of a deeper dive on a couple of points, below 50 just twice, and if you don't count the round one performance just once, and below 60 on the season just five times, and that's out of 21 games. So basically you went 60 plus about 76% of the time, which is just incredible. But he's expensive, Wilfred. What's your take on him for round one for this year? Yeah, look, he's. I just think he's too pricey. Uh, as much as you know, the, the stats speak for themselves. I just think I can't pay that much because you only pay that much if you think he's going to come close to, you know, like a 75, 80 average minimum, if not better. And I don't see that happening, especially with a new halfback and you know the loss of a pretty big strike weapon. And I, I know you've got really high raps on Billy Smith, his Latrell's likely replacement, but I mean he's just not he's not Latrell Mitchell yet. So I think I can't go near Teddy at that price as much as I'd want to just lock and load him for the season. You know, you look at his last two years, and I think he's basically averaged 100 post-origin both seasons or thereabouts. And I think when, you know, if he's averaged 100 post-origin, you know, for the rest of the season, he's got to be below the 80 mark. So generally speaking, he's a little bit slower, I think, over the first two months. And I've mentioned that in the past. I mean, we saw last year, round three, he scored 133. So he's certainly capable of busting out a huge score anytime. You might be able to speak to this more, but I feel the Roosters generally, they, they ease into the season. Robert gets them firing post-origin, and obviously it's worked really well the last two seasons. Uh, and it's coincided with Teddy going nuts and Latrell going nuts as well. So for me, I'm happy to wait and see on, on Teddy, especially at that price. 
Yeah, I'm in a bit. I'm in a bit two minds on it. Like a couple of to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. In a way, I agree. Um, and one of the things too, with the Roosters in general, but that's going to affect Tedesco. In the first six rounds, I think they only play at home once. Um, they've got another home game, but it's on the Central Coast, so it's not a real home game. So they don't have a lot of home games there, and their draw isn't phenomenal. The flip side to that, though, Wilfred, is right after price rises get started. Round four, the Roosters play the Gold Coast Titans. <laughs> so, you know, you can basically have a bad draw, but then if you hit the Gold Coast Titans in round four as the best player in the game playing at the Sydney Cricket Ground, that's that's also enough pause for me to argue with myself and say, geez, I'm really, I, I could miss out on 155 points in round four versus the Gold Coast because that's what he scored last season. <laughs> as his best score, 155. So I think that makes it a little bit hard. So for me, I can see the argument for both. Um, I definitely can't disagree with what you said. He is very expensive. On the other hand, you know, you're going to start with a couple of expensive guys to build your team around. Um, I don't don't think that you can go wrong if you decide that Teddy's going to be one of them. Um, He does have a very low floor, and he does have that Gold Coast game. The argument for me, I guess, with the style, which you touched on, um, the Roosters having a new halfback, and, um, you know, losing Latrell Mitchell. I don't think Latrell's going to hurt him much because I don't think that he really... I think it was more Kiri linking with Latrell. I don't think that Teddy did a lot with Latrell. I don't think that's going to matter too much. The halfback thing might, but I guess the reverse of that thinking is maybe because someone like Cooper Cross gone, we're going to see guys like Tedesco and Kiri step up and maybe ball play a bit more, take a bit more leadership, do you think? Yeah, look, it's certainly that's certainly one narrative that could definitely play out. Uh, we've seen in the past Kiri has stepped up uh, like I think a lot of last year, he definitely had his better games when Kronk was out. Uh, but, you know, the year before, he actually went better when he had the halfback next to him. So it, it, it's interesting to see how Kiri develops there. Uh, just to go back real quick on the point about Latrell, I mean, I get that a lot of the points probably came from Kiri to Mitchell as opposed to Teddy to Mitchell. But I think sometimes teddy benefited from having latrell on the outside because teddy could just take it in because the defense had to stay up and mm-hmm. you know be mindful of latrell there uh, i mean that could easily still be the case of billy smith because i again and i'm 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 throwing you these chances to, to, to talk about it mate well we're going to get to some of these other guys in a little bit so i don't want to unleash on billy smith just yet like it could very well be the case anyway but for me i'm happy to wait and see very good point about round four the titans could be a bloodbath and you know you talked about the opening draw to be honest like as, as even though they're not playing at home though i mean it's still sydney sydney central coast i think and then yeah i don't think they go actually away from new south wales until round six which is when they travel to the warriors yeah that's correct yeah so i mean you're right they're, they're still playing in sydney and stuff and the home the home draw stuff doesn't make that much difference to them anyway i guess with with the draw stuff it always depends because you know, we've, we've both talked about it, and you can see it as well. With When you look at the Roosters' draw, you can think that they're playing a, a heap of bad teams or whatever, or a heap of really strong teams. But until the season starts, you don't really know. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you get those surprise packets. Like, um, you know, mid-last season, you would have seen someone play the Dogs twice in a month and gone, oh, wow, you know, let's just trade them in for a month because half those games are against the Dogs. And then the Dogs went on that great run from mid-season onwards where they were basically a, a top six team on performance type of thing. So yeah. it, it's very hard to tell, and especially when we haven't seen anything. Like for me, I pinpointed the Titans. They're a side that I'm sure I, I, I'm going to be able to pinpoint and be accurate about. Someone like the Warriors in round six, so, um, you know, they could be a basket case, and on paper I think that they're pretty awful. 
But yep. they, may, they, might, they might surprise, so I'm not that sure. Maybe the Roosters will go there and lose 10-8 or something. So it is hard looking at the draw too. There's still a potential outcome here where the Roosters come out and actually aren't as good as they have been the last two years. And they actually may struggle a bit, even against you know the more average teams. So they might grind out some wins, but it could be like a 14-12 win. So for Supercoach purposes, it's probably not great. You know what I mean? So that that's a potential outcome there too. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. I, I think probably the biggest thing with Tedesco, and I'll finish off by saying he's not in my current side at the moment and I can't see myself putting him in. And that, that really hurts me because I'd really like to. But more than your reasons, Wilfred, I'm not that worried about the slow start. I, I think that you're still going to get like a 70s slow start because he did average 84 last year. So, I mean, if you average at 74, it's a full 10 points off. But it's still yeah. really good points. Um, yeah. I'm not worried about that that much. I'm not that worried about the draw. What I'm worried about is the position he plays. So Tedesco yeah. is a fullback. Now, last year in the preseason, we said, you've got to have Tedesco because, you know, Tedesco and Turbo, those are the two. Have those guys. That's your aim at the end. If you want to do it at the start, that's great. They're the best point scorers. This year, um, and we're going to get into it more in some of the other podcasts, but there's half a dozen really good fullback options and probably four that you want all of, you know, and you can't put them all because guys like Kalen Ponga, um, have have lost their duel, um, and you're in a real tough spot in being able to fit these guys in. So purely at the moment, it's just because he's a fullback, and I think that there's other better options available, and we're going to talk about one of them when we get to the Melbourne Storm in a little bit. So he's not in my team either, um, but I think we're both on the consensus, Wilfred, that he's in for another big season, and we're, we're going to want him at some point for sure. It's just a matter of planning out when we can buy him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, you know, even with a potential slower start, Short of injury, I can't see him not finishing top five for overall points for this season. So, yeah, he's not certainly not a bad pick, but I agree. Like There are certainly some more compelling options to, to want to start the season with, even though you probably still want to finish the season with Teddy. Yeah, if it was, if it was last year, I'd be saying start with him uh, for sure. But different season, so there's a few little changes. One of those other changes is we're going to talk about some risks and a risk player for the Roosters, I've got is Kyle Flanagan. Now, um, some people will look at the opposite and look at him as a good opportunity or a cash guy. Um, I'm going to talk about why I don't, and then you can let me know your take, Wilfred. But just going through the numbers tape, he's 461k, so he's actually not as cheap as a lot of people think um, because he yep. played quite a few games last year. Yeah, he only averaged just a shade under 50, so he actually had a pretty good season. Deep dive into the numbers, he had eight games. Seven of those were 80 minutes, so he's not looking at a huge discount on his performances anyway. He was pretty consistent. like He, he was pretty much, aside from one game, doing 50s, not including his bench game. Um, but he did have some goal kicking in there. Like One of the games, his scoring points uh, were 43. So they took a huge amount um, of, of that score, and a lot of that was goal kicking. So... I don't believe, uh, I'm projecting that he's not going to have the goal kicking at the Roosters. Uh, I actually think someone else is going to have it. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. So I'm looking at Flanagan as a guy that's not very cheap at just under 500. Um, A guy that's not going to put up phenomenal numbers, although probably not be bad. And he's looking at a different club where he's not with anyone he's familiar with and he's a young kid. And I think the Roosters are really going to nurse him in pretty softly. And he's got a lot of other leaders in that team that are going to take the limelight. So... I know a lot of guys are pretty big on him, Wilfred, and uh, he's in quite a few teams at the moment that I'm seeing. I can understand why, because off the cuff, you sort of think, oh, he's probably 250, 300k. But at his price, I just don't see any opportunity at all, and I think it's a big risk to, to have him for round one. 
100% agree. Uh, I was really surprised the number of draft teams I've seen him in. And, you know, in theory, it kind of makes sense, but not at the price. And I agree. I don't think he's kicking goals either. And, I mean, with Kiri and Origin half next to him, like, why does he need to step up from round one? Like, you know, you'd assume Rob is going to be telling Flano just settle in and, and just let Luke control things and, you know, the defense will take care of the rest, really. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, look, the other thing too is that um, something else that I'm pretty sure we've spoken about before, but um, definitely I've spoken about Billy before, is as good as Cooper Cronk is, uh, he wasn't a huge a huge driving force in that Rooster squad with the style that they played. Uh, Robbo very much did the, did the same thing as what he's maybe going to do with a young half, with an old half that was a bit injured and battered like Cooper. It was more like, take a back seat, pick and choose your moments, and kind of work off the back of the other guys and let Tedesco and, and even friend at Hooker and also Kiri do all the hard work and, and make a lot of the plays and you just make sure that you're supporting them and chiming in when you've got the quality to give us. He's stepping into that role already. Like if he if he did what Kronk did last year, he's still not going to be doing a lot and he's still not going to be a great super coach player. So I don't see how he's going to do that coming in his first year. Yeah, I think the thing with Kronk is I. I... I feel like you can never underestimate his on-field influence, even if he's not putting up the stats and everything like that. You know, he's basically coaching them while he's on the field. Oh, for sure. Just I'm just yeah. talking super coach points only. Yeah, absolutely. You know, much like Alfie does for the Broncos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. World's world's best 14th player. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to Alfie anyway. I've got him earmarked. He's a cheap price for this year. We'll talk about him with the Broncos. <laughs> but I think we both agree. Flano's a, a no, um, and really, like, it's a pretty strong no for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, Big Balls Pod, mate, you're going to love this one, and you're either going to love it because you're going to agree with me because I know that you used to love him, or you're going to be so off him, we're going to have a big disagreement on this podcast. Angus Crichton, the big disappointment of 2019. Let's go through the numbers real quick. I'm really interested in your take on him. He's at 530k, which is the cheapest that you would have got him at since he's been a rookie. Average 57 points a game last year, which is actually better than probably what a lot of people give him credit for. High of 101. The interesting thing is that um, he's 12 points and 11 minutes below what he was doing both for two seasons prior. He also only went sub 40 once, which talks about his great floor that he's always had. His final six games are the interesting thing for me, Wilfred. 71 was his average, playing 80 minutes across his final six. So he went to that 80-minute role finally, consistently, um, and played the final six games. Looked very comfortable to me. And average 71, which is basically what we expect from him. He averaged 69 and 69, both the 17 and 18 seasons. That's pretty much what we expect from Angus. Um, I'm looking at him like he's a 12-point discount, basically, and I just I can't see myself not having him because I'm projecting him to be starting now. I don't see any way that he's on the bench, and oh, I'm all over Angus, and I don't think many people will be. It's in my draft team at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> The only question mark, obviously, is if he has earned and will retain the starting edge role. Uh, we saw, obviously, he lost his spot to Orbo. I mean, grand final hero Mitch Orbison, I get it. <laughs> but <laughs> for Supercoach, I think it's a no-brainer. Look, he did look much better at the end of the season. I think at the start of the year, maybe he took it for a bit for granted. You know, he's a big star signing. Uh, but he wasn't putting in the work. And I think Robbo coached it out of him by putting him in the middle and making him do some work yep. and and eventually got onto the edge because of an injury. 
Uh, as long as he's starting on the edge, um, I think, yeah, I, I'm pretty comfortable locking him in. At 530k or thereabouts, I think he's yeah, great value. I think that um, the first season at the Roosters would have taken a lot of the pressure off as well. I mean, we've got to remember that he went in firstly injured, um, and the shoulder injury was very underplayed. He was quite injured with his um, shoulder and, and other stuff going on as well. Uh, but he had a lot of pressure on him going across to the Roosters from South. You know, the, the media and fans were really into him. Um, and then when he started slow, when he was hurt, I think that part of Robbo putting him on the bench was just to take the pressure off. Now, no one cares about him anymore. Like this year, it's all about Latrell in the media. So no one's going to talk about Angus Crichton anymore. Uh, I kind of feel like with the pressure off him being in the Roosters team for 12 months, um, having to do the work, I, I think that we're going to see a really big step up. And I reckon that it's going to be a pretty significant one. So I think he's one of the best pods to start the season. I'm hoping that he's going to remain under 10%. Do you think that he will? I think so, yeah. I, I do think so. There's so many options in the second row. I find that one of the more fascinating options, uh, like positions this year. Like there's so many, there's so many options that you could start with, to be honest. Uh, and there's no, to me, there's no clear cut standout that you must have in the second row for round one. Uh, I think to the end of the season, I think there'll be a couple of names that will definitely be must haves. But yep. I don't think any of them are must haves for round one. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, he is in a position where there is a lot of options. Um, I, I built like a, I went complete mid-range with a different build today. And I had all mid-ranges in my second row. And it actually didn't look too bad. So uh, there's there's all these mid-range options everywhere. But to speak to the rotations, um, I'd be comfortable he's playing 80 minutes on the edge for a couple of reasons. One, I think Robbo even did an interview. Um, I think it was on um, the Roosters page. Um, you know, this I'm putting... Angus in the middle this year for a bit off the bench because I want him to work on some things in his game and when he can work on those things he's going to learn from from coming in off the bench Um, then he's going to be ready Um, so it seemed to be you know just a bit of a development opportunity which they could afford to do a couple other key things for me though Wilfred Orbison's old as dirt Um, I love him but he's like 30 but he's really about 48 in, in rugby league years he's one of those guys you know like He's, he's a lot older than what he is. He was carrying a lot of injuries last year. I'm not sure whether I'm just being super critical of him and I love him. Maybe it's just me that saw it, but he had a good first half of the year, Robo, and then about halfway through the year, he literally like hit a brick wall. Laterally, he looked a lot slower. He got put in the centres a couple of times and he really struggled a lot more than normal to, to cover stuff. And he really had a, had a poor second half of the year, although he had some good games in the business end. So I think that he's definitely you know, a, a bench forward, and he's a guy that can cover other positions as well. And the other key is as well, Corden has really struggled with injury for a couple of years. So I think that if there's chances for someone to get a breather, um, and we already saw him getting breathers last year, it's going to be Cordner coming off um, from that other edge rather than Angus. Um, so that that kind of bodes well for Angus for me, I reckon. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with that. And, you know, the logic it certainly checks out, so... I guess, you know, we'll have to see if it is how it plays out. I mean, the only hesitation I have is if, you know, we're both pretty down on Flano, he may not get the attacking stats. But, I mean, if you come, if you look back at Crichton at, at the Bunnies, he was averaging close to 65 to 68. I can't remember exactly what number it was, but that was just in base and base attack stats. Yep. So not even including his tries and line breaks. So on his base and base attack alone, he should... You know, be it'd be a decent bit underpriced. So fingers crossed that he will get the eighty-minute role, and I'm, I'm pretty pretty comfortable locking him in at that price. 
Yeah, he only scored two tries all of last year as well. Um, so he's going to score more than two tries. I'll, I'll pretty much do the sex to eat my hat if he doesn't score more than two tries this season. Um, <laughs> his, his BBA, though, is one of the best in the game the two years prior in 17 and 18. So, yeah, all over him. I think that he's, he's one of the best value second rowers as far as fallen guns or guns go. Um, and he's definitely not leaving my side unless he somehow finds himself on the bench, which I don't think will happen. The next guy we're going to touch on, we're going to talk about our cash cow rookie money opportunity. So money maker for the Roosters is going to be really interesting because we already disagreed with this one online. Admittedly, I thought it was 240k, and we <laughs> argued a little bit about it all in fun for a few comments, and then I realised he was actually not 240k, he's 290k, and that is Billy Smith. Now, Billy Smith's going to come in and fill the Trolls role. I've said to you before, Wilfred, I rate him extremely highly. I haven't been as excited about a prospect coming through since probably RTS, um, and he's a guy that I reckon is at least as good a prospect as Latrell was anyway. Um, so I've been waiting for him to start. So it is a bit of a blessing that Latrell's gone because we get to see Billy. I only played the two games last year. He scored 53 and 72, which is a pretty fair effort for a kid that's that young that's just come in the first grade. Uh, he looked apart for me. He scored two tries, um, but he's really got a perfect super coach game where he's got great attack, but he's got very good evasive skills, so he's going to get a lot of TBs as well. Uh, and he's just a really talented young kid. Big clincher for me, Wilfred, and then I'll hand over to you on this point. He's only priced at 31. He's got a chance to you know, potentially average 60s um, and maybe even be a keeper if he really blossoms, but even if he doesn't, surely he's going to average 50s. Um, in that Roosters back line and price at 31, it's got to be good value for him. And look, a lot of that makes sense. Uh, I'm not doubting your you know, your read on him as a player or anything like that. It's certainly nothing to do... My, my hesitation with Billy Smith is nothing to do with that. We saw two games. I, I obviously don't haven't followed him through juniors as much or anything like that. He looked good, I agree, but it's two games. And for me, that I think that's my hesitation. Uh, the price is... Look, it's, it's cheaper, but... 290k, uh, 31 average basically. You know, we don't know if he's a big base stat guy. He yep. he was all right. Certainly, he was better than Latrell minus kicking, but <laughs> which not a high bar, admittedly. But I mean, you know, you talk about a 50 average, but you know, you've got what who I rate as one of the best centers in in the game, Joey Manu on the other edge, barely scratching a 49, 50 average previously. Yep. I think he stepped up this year. But that's off the back of one huge game at fullback and, you know, a couple of other decent games at fullback as well. So looking at his centre-only games, I think Marnie are probably still on the average about 42. 45. Yeah, so there you go. So, I mean, that's that's one counterpoint I throw in there. It's not like Marnie's base stats are, are bad. It's it's be, It was better than the Trolls, uh, minus kicking. So, yeah, like I said, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. Uh, I mean, if, if there are... A, a shortage of cheapies, then absolutely. He's the type of guy you're going to have to throw in there. And you can do worse than finding a center playing off Luke Keery. Uh But, like, I just don't think he's a lock-in. But he, he could easily find him sway in my team, but he's not in my team at the moment. So I'm glad we disagree on one. That's good. He's in my team <laughs> at the moment. Um, and I'm almost putting him in in Crichton territory where he's not leaving my side. Um, it doesn't matter how many iterations of my team I do before kickoff. Billy Smith's going to be there. We'll say, though, and this is a bit of a segue in the strategy, and, and you can tell me about how you're looking at it. For me this year, um, I've looked at the prices, I've looked at the availability, and last year I felt that we had a massive drop-off. Well, really, the last two years we've had a massive drop-off in centre wing. 
for a couple of reasons. We've had a massive drop-off in quality, and we've also had a massive drop-off in options. And then on top of that, we've had a huge uptick in volatility, um, where guys have just been all over the place. And even someone like, like Latrell Mitchell, um, you know, 70 a game as a centre wing, um, was great in overall, but in head-to-head, he could lose three weeks in a row before he throws at 150 to get that 70 average for that month. So it, it's just really inconsistent. So for me, this year, Wilfred, I'm looking at going the cheap-ass centre wing strategy again. It's worked plenty of times in the past for many past champions. Billy Smith will probably be my second most expensive player in my centre wing at 290k, and that's kind of the build that I'm I'm looking for, which I guess is why it's easier for me probably to say he's a lock and load. Yeah, look, I, I don't. I mean, I'm certainly not paying up at centre wing myself. At the price, I just don't think he's that safe. I mean, there's there's an outcome where he loses money, and I mean that could be the case for a lot of players. Uh, I mean, I, I think I used this example in our little. You know, our chat, I guess you could say, when we were just debating it. Yeah. Um, but I, I would lean towards someone like Bailey Simmonson from the Raiders for, for I think, about 50K more. Uh, so I know we're pushing up a bit into the 300s by then, but he started slow. But by the end of the season, his base and base attack stats were, were up there. Uh, I think he was averaging 40 to 45 or something, which for me, anything over 40 is, a, you know, worth a look. Yeah. And, you know, he's got, uh, let me see here, one... He had about three or four games off the bench as well, dropping his price. You know, his true average is, is definitely above what he's priced at based off, you know, the games he played. And he, it's not like he scored a bucket load of tries either. So I don't think his average is overly inflated by attacking stats. So for me, that's where I would go, where we've got a whole... I mean, he played about 17 games, so probably say 13, 14, actually on the wing. I would feel more comfortable paying a little bit more, having someone like that. And if it doesn't flood... If, if it doesn't work out and he flops and Billy Smith goes off, you know, it's an easier downgrade to go from Simonson and, and get some cash in the bank going down to Billy Smith if, if he's going off. Yeah, that's the way I would play it as a, as a starting round, round one team selection thing. Yeah, that's a that's a fair call on how you'd play it. Um, I kind of disagree on um, Simonson because I one is 50k more, but also, and this is a little bit subjective, and you know, this is a balance. To me, super coach is 50% numbers and, and 50% just watching and seeing um, what you think of players and how it's going to go. Um, Billy Smith's in the number one attacking team in the competition, and that's on numbers last year. He's, the Roosters were the number one attacking team in the competition. Um, he's filling the void on a strike side for the Roosters, which they go down a lot. Kiri's going to take a lot of ball. Um, Tupo's going to get his chance to score tries again like he always does. And that is their side for the number one attacking team in the comp. So he's going to benefit just from that. Um, and the second point is he's just such a talent, you know. Like, and at NRL level, it is different. And the sample size thing that you said is totally valid. Maybe Billy Smith doesn't do it this year, and as next year he needs some time or whatever. And Simonson's already blooded. But on on raw talent, like someone like Simonson was nowhere near someone like um, what Billy Smith was, you know. And I don't want to say. I don't want to cop a heap on Twitter saying that I'm a, a Roosters homer and all this stuff. So I really hesitated then to say this, but someone like Kalen Ponga is an example. I'm not saying he's Kalen Ponga at all, guys. Not at all. But someone like Kalen Ponga is a good example where you could see in the juniors who was that far ahead of everybody else and he was just that much of a good prospect that was going to translate. You just knew that he was going to be good. Um, and he was a star straight away, Kalen Ponga. Now, Billy Smith probably won't ever be as good as Kalen Ponga. Maybe he will. Who knows? Oh, it's not my point. There is these guys like him that you know that are going to do well. And to do well, I think that he only has to average, you know, low 40s to make 100 grand anyway. 
So to me, it's the floor, Wilfred. You know, he's 31 point average he's got to beat. And, you know, surely he gets to 41 even if he stinks it up. Yeah, see, that, there, there's that confidence, that Roosters fan confidence coming in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just two, two points. Roosters were the second best attacking team in the NRL. Oh, the that, must number be, one. that must be when we started resting players because we had, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the Raiders were fourth. So it's not like they were, uh, you know, bad themselves. And Simmonson, assuming he's playing left wing, I mean, that's Whiten's side. So that's another benefit to him because I can certainly see oh, a lot dumb, more tax. So the dummy and run side? Mate, one, <laughs> he did much better than I expected as a five-eight. To be honest, he was fantastic, but it was a lot of a lot of his running game rather than playmaking. Yeah, look, that's fair, and and he got better as a playmaker as the season went on. Yeah, and yeah. So look, I mean, you know, the Simmonson was just an example. Anyway, so I don't exactly have him in my team or anything like that, but uh, I think that's how I would probably look at it. Uh, look, you know, certainly it's within the range of outcomes that Billy Smith's a gun. Um, you know, like I said, I, I obviously I rate your uh, ability to to look at players objectively and and you know rate them on their on their game. Uh, so you know, you say Billy Smith's good, and I, from what I've seen, he's good, and you know, you're really excited by him. So uh, I certainly you know am not writing him off. Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm a bit more I'm, I'm a bit more a bit more reserved, I guess, about my excitement. I mean, he's he's not as cheap. I mean, if he was two forty, I mean, it'd be a no brainer. He'd be he'd be in there. I mean, I'd much rather uh, Billy Smith at 240 than Bradman Best at 240, if I could put it that way. <laughs> and I thought he was 240 in fairness initially, so I, I'm going to put that down to when Supercoach prices came out. I, I looked at a page, it was wrong. So uh, 290, <laughs> I'm still going to throw him in. Um, I'm super confident. There's no way he's leaving my side, but I understand what you're saying, Wilfred. Let's move on to some of the other players on the Roosters side to finish up on. Um, well, I was going to say that to me, there's two big bulls pods that I would actually talk about first before Crichton. Oh, yeah. One is Jake Friend. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're going to trot out the stats there. When he was fit and playing well, he was the number one averaging hooker in the game. He was he was really good. I mean, if you take out his two injury affected games, you know, he averaged about 92. The problem is that he only played in five games, and two of them yeah. were injured. So. <laughs> Uh, and Verrill's looked really good as well, and I can imagine he's going to definitely be taking minutes off Friend. Yeah, but that's why you I saw the attacking upside, right? Yeah, that, that's that's why I wouldn't go near him. Um, I, I love Jake Friend, and I actually bought him last year, and then he got hurt straight away, so that was good. But I started with him. <laughs> it was a great call, and then he got hurt as well. I really love him, but he's old now as well. I've yeah. got zero interest in him because Verrill's, I believe in, and I have for a couple of years, not to the Billy Smith level at all, but. He's a really good player and he's looking really good. Um, and I think that the couple of rumours and people that I've spoken to and stuff that have said stuff to me um, have all said the same thing, and that is that Robbo's had a quiet word to friend to say, understand that you want to play big minutes and that you think you're an 80-minute hooker and stuff, and you could be, but Verrills is the future um, and you, he's going to be playing. So sure. uh, Verrills is going to get at least 20 minutes a game. And the thing is, if it was Jake Friend three or four years ago, he could have easily just been slotted into lock. Jake Friends had a torrid injury around the last couple of years, and he's only a little bloke. Uh, and Robbo is going to nurse him, I'm pretty sure, because he's going to need him. He was a grand final hero the year before last. Um, he's going to need him at the end of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a 55-minute player, maybe 60 minutes, but probably not. And I wouldn't be surprised if he cops the odd rest as well, um, if they're up a lot like that Gold Coast game. Uh, if they're up by... 40 points, 50 minutes in, he's probably gone for the game. And that's fair. Um, I just think, you know, no Cronk 
I can imagine Friend's going to take a bigger role in the attacking side of things. And look, he's $415,000. So yeah. that's just putting into perspective. And he's pretty much 290000 less than Damian Cook. So for someone who has the ability to average 90 over five games, and you know he, he probably played close to 80 for most of them, but probably not for all of them. I just say that's what I mean. There's a big balls pod that I would actually actually look at. Probably not have the balls to put him in my team, but I'd definitely look at him in that regard. He is a decent one. I'm I'm not going to look at him though because I'm I'm a big believer in him not getting enough minutes and getting um not just not having the minutes with barrels there. Who was your yeah. other big balls one that you mentioned? Big Dick Vic. Victor Radley. He scored so many attacking stats and. The reality is, is that he averaged close to 75 in the back end of the season. Yeah, it's, it's really hard because, you know, in the front end of the season, like I remember last preseason on these pods, I said to everyone, do not buy Victor Radley. Yeah. And I had, and he was like the flavor of the month. And everyone was like, yes, Victor Radley, Victor Radley. I was like, don't do it. I had friends yep. of mine texting me saying, is Victor Radley a good player for Real Madrid? And I was like, no, do not touch him. And they were amazed because they were like, Barnes, you're a Roosters fan. I thought you were going to say that's a great pick. And I said, no, do not touch him. He's not going to translate, and he's not going to probably get um, the consistent minutes either with the rotation. And it, for the first half of the season, I think that he was flat out trying to average 50, um, and his minutes were all over the shop. You're right about the second half. He had a huge amount of um, attacking stats. Like from round 13, I think he scored like six tries to finish off the year. Um, and the first half of the season, he only had one try, so... He definitely looked a lot better. Do you think that's because he was more comfortable? Do you think he just went on a run? Because you know, I'm I'm really in two minds about whether that's he's going to be first half of season Victor Radley or, or second half of season Victor Radley. Yeah, it's really interesting because he ended up scoring I think six tries all season. Five of them came from round 13 onwards. Um, I mean, season average around 52. I think if you look at the second half, he's yeah 70 plus. I don't know what it was, but something happened, and then he just went on a tear and started scoring tries and setting up, you know, getting attacking stats. And I don't know whether it's and and you know I, I didn't watch the Roosters super closely, so I don't know if a change in the game plan or how he's being used or whatever. But I mean, his base stats went up too, so it's not like it was purely just attacking stats that were getting him over the line. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of guys out as well. Um, I don't know how much. That affected it or not. To finish the, the season off, um, I think that he ended up having a couple of low-minute games as well. And in the grand yeah, because of the blowouts, yeah. Yeah, and in the grand final too, though, he got he got pulled off too. His minutes were all over the shop, and it, it's a big worry for me because I kind of think he is a guy that it could very well get 60 minutes or sub-60. And if he does that, I just I can't see any way he could buy him. Yeah, so between rounds, I think looking here... Uh, rounds 13 to 23 was when he started averaging about 64, um, you know, 69, 70 minutes per game, and he averaged 64.5 over that time. Yep. So, you know, again, that's what I mean. Big balls. If you think that continues, he's not a bad. Uh, I don't think he'll be highly owned at all, especially given how disappointing he was for the start of the season. Like that sticks in people's minds. Oh, it definitely so, will. Um, so he'll he'll definitely be a pod. I don't think he'll get... I'm not sure that he'll get the minutes or consistency. That's the only reason that I would... Um, I'd still clear myself. Could very well happen, so... Let's talk about Kiri, though. Here's a, another guy um, that might be on the rise. So, 
He's just under 570k. He did a 61-point average last season with a high of 110, a low of 23, but that was, uh, I think, injury-affected as well. His split stats are interesting for the thirds of the season. The first third, he was at 56 points. The second third in the middle, he was at 65. And then for the final third of the season, he was on 67. He's got some peaks and troughs there. He's definitely got some stinkers where he can score in the 20s or 30s. Uh, but he generally just does that for one game, and then he bookends them with some really good ones. Uh, he had a career year, so that's always a concern, grabbing a guy off a career year. So in his prior years, um, Luke Keery, you know, has gone 49, 59, 41, 39. And when he was at the Rabbitohs, I made the remarks that he's just not a super coach relevant player because of the way he plays, much like, um, you know, Kieran Ford used to play really well for, say, Manly, but it didn't translate. That sort of seemed how Kiri was. He's changed his game the last couple of years. Um, he's still only one season removed from only averaging 49 in 2018, though. Um, I don't know whether he can repeat the career year or not. I tend to think that he will um, because of the extra responsibility that we spoke about. I think that he can very well average 60s. Look, I think it's certainly within the range of outcomes. I'm happy to kind of sit and wait. I just feel like with the halves, there's better options ultimately. Yep. And especially at 5'8". And I'm sure we'll talk about one of them who I will... No doubt, go on about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to do that now. So let's let's um, finish on Kiri by me saying he, that final third. I'm going to talk to you about these numbers, Wilfred, and you can just forget that it's Kiri and just listen to the numbers. 105 points, 54, 96, 26, 110, 53, 93, 69, 53. Only one stinker in there, everything else above 50s and, and almost three tonnes. Um, which is you know about 25% of those games to finish off that final third of the season. That's a pretty impressive finish. Yeah, definitely. And the only thing I'll say to that is, again, it's post-Origin, where the Roosters hit, hit top gear. Uh, Latrell probably accounts for about a third of those attacking stats. <laughs> uh, and, and obviously that ties in with Teddy's high average as well. So... Again, you know, how that actually matters, whether it matters, if Billy Smith just steps in and does exactly what the troll is doing, could very well be the case. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy just to sit and wait. Yeah, I think that it will definitely be a pod. Um, and I almost think that he's a better big balls pod than, um, than your couple of ones like Jake Friend. Yeah. Um, I'd rather take the pun on Kiri. Um, last guy we're going to finish on on the Roosters, and then we're going to move on to the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, we've got a rising gun, Takiyaho. Um, he had a fantastic season. We've actually got him at a bit of a discount, I think. So looking at the numbers, he's at 537k, um, which is quite good. He's averaged 58 points a game last year, which is okay. Uh, but when you dig a bit deeper, it's a lot better than that. He's had a high of 99. He actually averaged 62 points in his first 12, if you don't include his injured game. And his last half dozen games, he actually played low minutes. So he's actually looking like huge value because of that. He's a prop as well, um, and that front row forward spot doesn't have a lot of value in it, um, which we've spoken about before. It doesn't have a huge amount of prop options. I actually think this guy's going to be the goal kicker for the Roosters as well. So I dare say we could be seeing a Corey Parker type of guy with uh, some good goal kicking potentially um, to go onto those, you know, that 62-point stat line that he was going to do anyway when he wasn't hurt. Um, you know, we could be looking at a... 68-point Takiyaho, if everything goes right, Wilfred? Yeah, look, I think I was feeling the same. Was it the start of this season? Uh, last season, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I had him in my team, and 
you know, I thought he was getting goal kicking. Oh, this must have been the year before. Yeah. Uh, I had him in my team, thought he was going to get the goal kicking. And yeah, I think I took out someone quite relevant. Anyway, long story short, I, I plugged him in uh, as a light switch and he ended up stinking because he got hurt and things like that. And then didn't end up getting the goal kicking either. But uh, look, tangent aside, I think certainly he. he if it's confirmed he's goal-kicking and he, he's likely to play 55, 60 minutes, I think I'm all, all over him if that's the case. Happy to wait and see what other preseason new com- news comes out, uh, what happens with trials, and then I'll make a call on that, I reckon. Yeah, if he's got the goal-kicking, he's definitely in my side. Like, Provided he's got the goal-kicking, the three roosters that will definitely not leave my side are Takiyaho, Angus Crichton, and Billy Smith. Um, those guys are 100% in. And he's got to have the goal-kicking, but... Even outside the goal kicking, he presents a huge amount of value because that final third of the season, he only averaged 36 points because he had a huge amount of bench games and low-minute games because of injuries. So uh, up to round 18, he averaged 63 points a game. So, Yeah, if he continues that form, then absolutely, even without goal kicking, he's worth a look. So let's talk about the Brisbane Broncos, your boys. First off, are you um, confident that you've got a premiership coming in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> I... Look, I I'm not Brody Croft's favorite. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his. So I let's just say I'm not that hyped about his signing. But if he does work out, I think the Broncos could give. Well, I'll make finals, and they could give Top Four a bit of a shake. And if you make the top four, there's always a, a chance they might end up in the grand final. And if you're in the grand final, you know, on any given day, right, you're a shot at winning. There's some Broncos fan. Confidence that I wanted to see. <laughs> well, the, the new faces for the Broncos. We've got Brody Croft from the Storm. Jordan Kahu has come back home because things weren't as rosy in Townsville as what he thought they were going to be last time he left. Jesse Arthurs from the Titans. A uh, whole heap of other guys that um, are really that relevant at the moment. The guys that they've lost, Matt Gillett, Sean Fensom, and James Seguiaro and Shibasaki are all guys that played some minutes, but none of them are going to be... Huge losses aside from Gillette, which was who was relevant for about six weeks last year, maybe. Um, so it is a bit of a change. Someone like Croft does change the dynamic quite a bit. Um, as far as guns go, though, surely you just have to go straight to Payne Haas. There is no one else that really is relevant compared to him. Um, putting up 78 points a game last year, and he did that as a prop, which we spoke about being a low points position normally. Uh, he was... Phenomenal. He did that with 62 points just in raw base. Uh, so he's giving you gun status just in his base straight away. Um, he had like hardly any games that you would be upset about, and he didn't really get hurt much either. His lowest game was 51 points. So he's going to give you 50s when he stinks, and he only had, I think, two 50 games. Yeah, he only had two games in the 50s the entire season. All the rest of it was 60s or 70s plus. So... He's just been a phenomenal finding for the Broncos. Um, if you look by the re- by the round breakup, the first third of the season, he averaged 73. The middle third, he averaged 80 points a game. And then round 19 to 26 to finish off, he averaged 81. So he's in my side. He was actually the first one I picked just to anchor my front row forward spot. And I really, for someone that consistent and solid week in, week out, I just I can't not put him in. And that hurts me as a non-Broncos fan to say. Yep, first pick for me, and that's not because I'm a Broncos fan. That's because <laughs> I know how to play Super Coach, and he was the first pick for sure. Just um, the stats, the consistency. I mean, it's it's like Paul Gallen, but in the front front row, basically. 
And he's, he's working on an offload. You could see him getting a little bit of that in the second half of the season, uh, which, I mean, if, if he takes a step forward that way, I mean, that's just going to take his game to a new level. Yeah, I mean, he's 728k, so playing devil's advocate for just two seconds, there's going to be some people that say it's very expensive and they're, they're not going to want to put him in. You, I don't think you can put a price tag on consistency when you are that sure that someone's going to go that well every single week. That's the sort of guy that you can put in there. And I mean, you know, Latrell could average, say Latrell average, you know, similar points. You'd still get pain Huss every time just because of the consistent points that you're getting week in, week out. He's the captaincy option when you're not sure if you want to captain anyone else in your team. Yeah, and that's another really good point. Um, there's not many of those guys around. It used to be basically Gallon and Parker that used to be those guys, and we've had a bit of a lull the last few years where we haven't really had that. Um, Tom Lolo a little bit, but he still had some off games. Now it's Payne Haas has definitely filled that void. Um, another young guy that we'll talk about, though, who I've put under gun status, but he's really a rising gun, but I just like him that much that I've put him under gun. David Fafita. He... Ended up averaging 54 a game last year, but that doesn't really tell the story, obviously. Um, when you look at the way he finished, he basically got the starting gig um, and started playing 80 minutes a game from round 18. And once that happened, he averaged 79 points a game. Uh, he's, he, he's one of the best trade-ins I've ever done in my life um, for that that run home. Of course, every other trade I did was, was absolute garbage. But <laughs> for him, that was the, the great trade that I did for the run home. Um I really like him at that price as well because he's obviously started a lot of games on the bench. It's huge value. He's only 500000 I never say anyone's a must-have Wilfred unless they're a guaranteed huge cash cow. He's about as close as it comes for me as a, as a must-have, I think. Yeah, I mean, 501k is, is a good price given you know the way he finished the season. I mean, I brought him in, I think, that same week. I must have been uh, the... I think it was round 19, round 18, somewhere around there. 19 was a um, Gold Coast game, so I think we both brought him in for that. Yeah, so rode, rode the 79.4 average for the rest of the season. And, uh, I mean, I, I was <laughs> I was just waiting to trade him in, basically. And as soon as I, got, <laughs> saw, him, as soon as I saw him get the 80-minute game, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, he's, he's all in my team. So, um, yeah, I'm obviously big Fafita fan, been, been waiting for him to get his chance. And I was a bit annoyed it took that long. Yeah, uh, especially when we got teased a little in, in round two early on with an eighty-minute game, but then he went straight back to limited minutes again afterwards. So, yeah, you know his potential is breaking out. I think he's going to want to really step up. I mean, he's a bit out of shape at the moment, but he's young. There's plenty of time. Um, he's just a natural freak because he's he's massive, but despite being nineteen, you know he's going to want to repay the Broncos for how they looked after him in the off season. <laughs> Oh, there's that, there's that as well. Yeah, he's he's got to repay the bribe payments um, with on-field performance because he doesn't pay any money towards that. Um, <laughs> only 56 minutes a game last year. He had a PPM the last two years, though, of 0.96 and 103. So if he gets the 80 minutes, it's a, it's a guarantee he's going to go well. Um, I guess the caveat I'll throw in there, there's two things to play devil's advocate. He only had a 35-point base. Um, which is, he is an edge back row, but it's still a bit low. Um, so there is a bit of a concern when he doesn't hit some attack or base attack, he's, he's going to be in a bit of trouble. And the other thing too is that, you know, a use set that um, Seabold's not going to be try and be too clever or try and be authoritarian and put him on the bench for stints or, you know, he's definitely getting the 80 minutes to get unleashed. You know, that's probably the only other small worry. 
Yeah, look, it's a valid point. Uh, you know, I don't know. Seabolt's a bit like that. I mean, to, to, to your point, though, yeah, 35 base, but he also had 77 tackle bus. Yep. Uh, which I looked at. Basically, he averaged a, a tackle bust every three runs. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's insane. Like, um, and you watch him on the field. He's just he's literally bumping guys off and spinning out of tackles. And you know that that started really coming to the fore in the back end of the season. And you know whether that's just because people are getting tired at the back end or whatever, whatever it is it is he's got that ability. And I expect we'll see more of it this year. So. Um, yeah, look, just super coach weapon. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if I'm not starting with him in my team. Basically. Yeah, he's got a very super coach friendly game. He's going to get the base um, attack stats um, and also the clutch attack stats. The thing is, it's 501,000. So the only thing you have to worry about is if they're going to play around with his minutes or bench him. And if they bench him for round one, you're going to know about it and you just get him out of your team. Uh, if he's named to start round one, I don't see how it can go wrong. So. He's definitely got my stamp. Um, let's talk about the risky players in the Broncos side. One here is quite controversial, Wilfred. I've got two guys. The first one is Jermaine Asako. I think he's a little bit of a risk. And I say that relatively speaking because a lot of teams are putting him in. I've had a lot of guys that are very good super coach players say to me why. And they're all very valid reasons. Um, he's um, likely going to have the goal kicking. He's likely playing fullback, which is a better spot for him. Um, and both of those things tick a lot of boxes, and he's like 420k. Now, the glass half empty approach is he had a lot of hype to start last season. He was exceptionally disappointing. Um, and, you know, last year I know he played on the wing um, for the season pretty much all of it, aside from a couple of fill in jobs. He only averaged 45. Um, and at the start of the season when he had the goal kicking, you know, he averaged 42. Um, I know he had a few personal things and, and stuff going on, but. He's not cheap either at 420k. Um, I'm not really prepared to, to risk him for round one. I think that there's a bit of a chance that um, we see a bit of a repeat start. Yeah, look, I think it's a fair point. Um, for me, I think it's just the fact that at fullback, he's definitely going to get more runs. Uh, the goal kicking, um, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have it. He's definitely the best kicker in the team right now. And, I mean, fullback's his better position. He's not really a natural winger. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought he did well in spite of being out of position. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, he's in my team at the moment. I, I just, and I don't think it's just because I'm a Broncos homer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, yeah, he's going to have the base stats. 420 is not breaking the bank. I still think, you know, that's a 45 average, basically, that he's priced at. If you look at the second half of the season, and you mentioned his, um, you know, some family issues, I definitely think it was playing on his mind. And it was, and I know it sounds weird, but, I think once he was able to, you know, take that time off and spend time with his family in New Zealand, especially his dad who was sick, um, he came back from New Zealand and just, you know, really started playing better afterwards. So he finished the season averaging 56, and that's got a like a, I think an injury, slightly injury affected game in there. So, you know, he's got a lowish floor, but I think you know he's a centre wing. You're going to have that volatility regardless, and because we don't have as many back rowers this year. So I think you know if you're gonna you're gonna have to take a punt on somebody, uh, and I think at 420 it's you know there's a, there's a potential here that he could average 60, and I think at a 45 average I'm happy to gamble on that. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a gamble. He's not going to be in my side, um, but yep. I can see why people like him. The other guy that's um, a bit of an easier argument as being a risk is uh, your favourite guy, Anthony Milford. 
<laughs> I actually jumped on the MILF train last year again. Uh, it didn't really pay dividends, although I had a couple of nice RC captaincy goes at him where I hit a 97 and 87 or something, I think. He basically went to a 51 average, which is his career worst season since he was you know, a star at the Canberra Raiders coming through. We didn't think that he could do worse than 18 at 55. The argument last preseason was the only way he's up, even if he doesn't go all the way up to 70, which is 15 points more, even if he does 10 points more, that's still huge value for someone like Milford and everything else. Now he's even cheaper, and he had a worse season by you know, 10%. You'd surely think that there's no other way to go but, down, but up, but honestly, I, I saw not very much from him last year in the halves for super coach purposes, um, and I made the comment to you that I thought that he looked he was better at one, and then we joked that the difference was only two points between one and six for Supercoach, 50 versus 52. And he's now not going to be in the one jersey. He's now going to be in the six jersey. I've always been a believer for Supercoach. He's got more opportunity at points as a one. And in real life, I actually go against the grain of popular opinion and agree with you. I think he's a better six than a one in real life. Um, but now he's back at six. Um, he's obviously got a different house partner in Kronk. Uh, sorry. He's obviously got a different house partner, in, <laughs> different house partner in Croft. I, I, I don't see any way anyone could go with him. Um, I almost did if I thought he was number one, but then when I saw that Croft was signed and he wasn't going to be number one anymore, um, I quickly pulled the pin on that one. And look, I'm, I'm not going to blame anybody for for putting Milford on the Never Again list. I don't know, what can I say? I, I can't quit him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an 18 base last year. 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look. I think the thing with Milford is that you can almost count some of his kicking stats as part of his base now uh, because he's definitely got a much better kicking game than he did, you know, back when he actually averaged really, really highly. Um, So in some respects, that does impact his base because he does kick a little bit more than he used to just, you know, always run, um, which, you know, it's good for his game. Uh, I just genuinely feel like, and, and, you know, I've said this a number of times, like he's he's been asked to play a controlling half role, which he's not. His best role is when he can play a second receiver and have more space and just look up and see what's in front of him and, and you know, decide what he wants to do. I think it helps when Corey Oates is in better form because Milford can actually use him yep. on the outside. Uh, so Oates hopefully will have a more consistent year as well. And, and maybe if I just get the feeling that you know, him finally being fit for a preseason is going to make a lot of difference. And and I don't know if you've kept up with watching some of the Broncos training videos, but they had they sent one out today where uh, not only Milford but actually Jack Bird, they both look really really slim and actually fit. And I think Seabold made the comment that you know they didn't have to, they weren't turning up to preseason to get fit. They came up to preseason to start training. So I think that was a really good comment, uh, and it showed that both those guys are actually, uh, you know, in, in in pretty much playing shape almost, um, and they're not just catching up on fitness for, for for the start of this preseason. So I can only see that being good for Milford, provided he continues to stay injury free, uh, because every every single time this the last few seasons he's had to be. I mean, he hasn't he's had a disrupted preseason because he's been recovering from a shoulder surgery or something like that so um provided milford stays injury free this preseason uh i think i can't see myself not starting with him i just the potential there is too high i mean you look at his best years they've been at when he's at five eighth 
um, you know, it went from 65 to 67 to 70 from 2015 to 2017 when he actually had a half that could control the game uh, next to him and Ben Hunt. And Croft, I mean, I, I've spoken in the past, like, I don't particularly rate Ben Hunt as a halfback. I think that Croft is going to take control. I don't think that Croft is a very good player at taking control, though, if that makes sense. So I don't think the quality of Croft's control is too high. It's probably not that different from Ben Hunt's, though. That's what, that's what I was kind of That's probably that's probably true. So I guess we've never actually seen Croft as the true controlling player in a team because he's always been in Cam Smith's shadow. So I guess this might be his chance. And that's what I mean. Like I don't particularly rate Croft, but if he is able to actually, you know, step up and actually be the guy and, you know, that clicks, then I can see Milford having a good year. Especially if the is running off him on the left edge or, or even Pangai, if that happens. Like, Milford having one of those uh, weapons with, um, you know, Jack Bird and, and Oates on the on the outside as well, I think that's a pretty potent left edge. Uh, and that could lead to some decent points for Supercoach. All right, well, I understand the MILF love because I've been there before. I will, I will finish off on saying that um, if he was 400K, I could be talking to it very easily. He's 476000 um, That's just too much money for me to spend. I, to, I'm actually considering someone else in that similar price bracket that we'll talk about when we get to the Knights, and that's Mitchell Pierce. And, yeah, you might laugh oh, at me. Really? <laughs> the start of the season for... Um, the Newcastle Knights is pretty strong. But looking at the draw for the Broncos, they do have the Titans in round three, so that's a plus. They do have the Cowboys twice in the first five rounds. That's either going to be a plus or a real big drag. Most of their games are one-point thrillers, so I'm going to say it's going to be a drag. So I'm not too sure, but the one thing that I keep coming back to in Milford, the reason I was so disappointed with him last year was because he never even had a run of games. He... Whenever he had, you know, a, a good game here and there, or even, you know, an adequate game, he'd still follow up with the stinkers. You know, like he'll throw up an 80, and then he'll give you a 40, and he'll throw up an 87, and he'll follow it up with a 16, 42, 35, 32, 40. Oh, here's 102 for you. It, it was just so bad. Like, he could not string together a run. And I honestly thought, with a player like him, that he'd at least string together a month of football. Now, what that means for super coach, which is my point, aside from it being frustrating and hard to bank on him whether you get a starting week in or week out when you've got some decent options to choose from. Um, his cash rises just don't happen because he keeps screwing them up by having a big game and then having two or three shit games before his next big game. That's the problem with him. I, I just I don't want to be stuck with him and not make any money either at any point, and that's kind of what happened to me last year as well. Yeah, look, I think that's fair. Um the only thing is, for me, is that for for the first time in so long, the Broncos don't have to play the Roosters or the Storm in the opening like ten or eleven rounds. I think that makes a huge difference because they're they're traditionally you know the teams that really kill Supercoach points. So I think the toughest teams that the Broncos have to face for Supercoach purposes, I think probably would you'd have to say maybe be the Sharks or Manly, maybe the bunnies i think that's pretty much it like the rest of the the, the opponents they face are pretty friendly super coach wise and they don't leave queensland uh they only have to leave queensland once in the first five rounds even though twice two of those times um you know they're playing away in townsville and way down the gold coast which I'm is sure pretty... they've got seven day turnarounds on all of them as well don't they sure <laughs> seven day turnaround friday night channel nine come on 
<laughs> Look, I, I, don't, I don't know, actually. I have to have think about that. <laughs> Let's move on from Milford because, um, yeah, you're the only one that's going to start with him. He's going to be 1% owned. Good. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the next guy is uh, um, Big Paul's pod, Tavita Pangai. Now, he averaged um, 58 points a game last year. He's 540k, so he's one of those guys that's in a friendly bracket like a Crichton where he's had gun-like status before. Um, but he's at a bit of a discount because of, um, really, his hamstrings to blame for pretty much all of it. Um, his PPM dropped to a career low at 0.97. He he went on the edge and actually had a, a bit of a run of games where he looked really good. Um, so probably like the first well, couple of months of the season, he was pretty disappointing. Um, his, his minutes sort of fluctuated from sort of 40s to 50s to 70s. Um, and his scoring was pretty much, you know, according to that, around 55. He then went on a bit of a run um, where, you know, he's played a, a lot better and then hit the edge roll in round 16 and went for 106 points straight away and went 106, 60, 73, got hurt, went down to 16, came back 71, 45, got hurt. Um, so he looked like he was hitting a lot of attack again and getting the offloads away. He's not likely to be starting on the edge now, um, but I was sort of hoping that maybe, you know, he'd still be attacking on the edge somewhat at times or at least unleashing that offload. He does have a bit of a feeder crab run into him where he can do those tackle breaks and offload or, or even line break. How confident are you with uh, Tavita Pangai this year? He did have a career year in scoring at 58 and last four years in a row he's gone up in scoring. Yeah, look, not not that great if he's playing middle. I think there's just not enough minutes to share around. Not when Penhas is going to get big minutes, and I think Lodge as well, uh, who sneakily was quite good in terms of super coach. Um, you know, he's not not your attacking type player, but he's going to plot away and get you a lot of 55, 60, 65 scores with the occasional attacking stat, and and. I think, yeah, Lodge will get plenty of minutes. Haas will get plenty of minutes. And I think the likes of Carrigan and Flegler on the bench are going to demand more minutes. So um, to, for the sake of preserving his hammies and everything, I, I can see Tavita probably playing around 50 minutes, plus or minus five, depending on how the game's going, if he's playing lock. That's my guess. Yeah, and that's not going to be anywhere near enough. He's got to be 60-plus minutes, and realistically, um, you prefer to be an 80-minute edge. Um, if one of those edge guys goes down, I'll be buying to, to Vita straight away um, if he goes into that jersey and he's got an 80-minute edge role, but otherwise, it's too risky. Um, he's definitely got the upside, though, so I can see him as a guy you know, a month or two in um, having to run to, to potentially buy, but I'd, I'd yeah. definitely rather wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite players still, but yeah, just for super coach, just the way the team's set up at the moment. I mean, if Alex Glenn was gone, I could see him taking his spot and I'd be all over him then. But yeah, right now, Alex Glenn's not going anywhere. Yeah, well, you touched on Matt Lodge as well. Um, I've got him as a secondary big balls pod to go with as well. And he's someone who's a lot more consistent. So he went up to 57 minutes a game um, last season, which was a career high. And that saw a 63-point uh, average. He did that very quietly. Not many people um, looked at him at all. He, he was pretty much a pod all season. And we spoke, me and Billy spoke about it when um, the Broncos were playing their buy around and looked at him. I think Billy actually purchased him. Uh, I wanted to. He didn't have enough trades. Um, he did really well. The, the more the season went on, he did better and better. So round 1 to 10, his average is 52, which was solid. But then he went on an average 68 points from round 10 to 
to the rest of the season. So did that on a 52 base, super consistent, um, and he really didn't have very many low games at all. And when you look at that sort of uh, round 10 onwards, he didn't have anything um, below a 50s game. Um, so that was a sort of consistency. And he also had a game of, uh, you know, 70 raw base for an 81-point score, which was huge. So he's someone that's very quietly quite an astute big balls pod from round one if he's looking at those minutes. I guess the two things that I'm interested from you, Wilfred, on, on him, average score per game was his highest ever. Average minutes per game were his highest ever by fair way. He went from 47 to 57 minutes a game. Uh, are we looking at regression from his career year in both minutes and score, or do you sort of see him continuing on? I don't know if he's going to continue on. I just see him. I can't see him doing better. I don't think he's going to go backwards that much, though. So uh, I do know some of the minutes were due to, like, say, injuries to other players. Uh, one game, I'm pretty sure Tavita got hooked because he was an idiot, and you know he's just playing stupid. So he only played like 30 minutes on the edge. And then I think, you know, Lodge had to step up, play some extra minutes, and, and someone else got extra minutes too. So, you know, that, that probably helped bump up his average a bit. Um, but, yeah, overall, I just can't see him... I can't see him getting the same minutes he got just because I do... I definitely think Flegler and Carrigan are going to step up. They both showed quite a bit of promise last year, and I think they're going to be knocking down the door for more minutes for sure. Yeah, that's a great caller, Flegler and Carrigan. Um, they're going to come along and get more minutes, so um, I agree with that. Um, I think if he if Lodge does what he did last year and you started with him, particularly what he did for round 10 onwards, um, you're going to be in for a great pod run, and it's going to be a really astute purchase for round one. I don't think that's going to be likely, and I don't think there's any value in him that way, and you're going to be overspending on your, your dollars per points. So, yeah. uh, Alex Glenn is the last guy we're going to finish on, Wilfred, and he's our uh, cash cow slash money man. And I've got him as that because he comes in just a bit over 400k. Um, he's rumoured to have the captaincy, whether that happens or not, don't know. But he's got an edge roll at the moment that's looking at an 80-minute edge. And he's a centre wing, second row, dual. So that's one of the things that really spiked my interest. He was actually in my first side um, that I did on Christmas Eve. And he was in my centre wing because there's very few of those back rowers. We don't have a John Bateman that you can put in your centre wing this year. Um, really, Alex Glenn's probably the best second rower that's available there right now unless they update the jewels. And I think that's where the interest lies. Uh, unfortunately for me, I went and had a look at his 80-minute games and that um, put me right off having him there. So he's, <laughs> you know, his, his career's a little bit all over the place. He averaged 76 minutes a game last year still and only managed to do 45 points a game. And the year prior, he did 74 minutes a game and did 47 and he has an average 50-plus since 2015. He's got a 38 base last year, um, and only 15% of his games the last two years, he's managed to go over 60 points. It just it looks awful, and it made me you know, run to the toilet and vomit and ask myself why I put him in my team at all. And then I had to remind myself, Barnsley, he's a second row in the centre wing, that's gold. And then I just had to say, no, it's not in this case, and I took him straight out. Now, how do you feel about Alice Glenn Wilfred? I mean, considering he's got the captaincy in the 80-minute role, um, do you think that he's going to step up and do something better than what he's been doing? Or, you know, he's just going to be the same old Alex Glenn? I don't actually know if he's got that 80-minute role, hey. I could see him kind of becoming a bit like John Sutton last year. Yeah. Maybe moving back a little bit to 60, 60 minutes or thereabouts. I mean, Sutton played some 80 minutes, uh, you know, when needed, but every chance he had it, he could. 
um, Sutton got rested. So I think with Glenn, you know, they want him for his leadership. And, and I, I mean, I love Alex Glenn for the Broncos player he's been. But on the field, he's just not, you know, he can't keep up with these guys. You know, there's so many gun forwards at the Broncos at the moment who are just banging down the door for minutes and opportunity. I just can't see him keeping them off. Just like, you know, Sutton wasn't able to keep off the, the, the bunnies forwards. Like Cam Murray needed more minutes and Sutton's, you know, one of the reasons he had he had to give up minutes was to get some to, to Murray through other rotations and things like that. So I can see something like that happening. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't go there either, for sure. Yeah, I was trying to think about who he reminded me of as an analogy and um, I'm going to antagonize you a little bit with this one. He, I came up with it. He is a poor, poor man's dog of Mitch Orbison. That, oh, that is that is rough. <laughs> <laughs> he's just that little bit slower, that little bit less versatile, that little bit less of a match winner. He's got that leadership quality in him, but not quite to Mitch's degree. And he's just, and I then I said to myself, "Well, Barnsley, are you going to start Mitch Orbison in your centre wing? Of course I'm not. So why would I consider Alex Glenn? So." Uh, these are the things that you do in the preseason, guys. You you have these guys that you think are light bulb moments, and you go, "Wow, I'm going to plug them in." They look a really good price and ticks a few boxes, and then you realise what you've done. And you just you fix it up. So we've got a few months to do that. Um, Wilfred, was there uh, any other Broncos that you were really excited about that you want to jag on at the end of this Broncos chat? I mean, not really. Uh, Jack Bird is interesting because he was playing really well for Supercoach, at least. Um, and pretty decent on the field as well uh, before he got hurt. But obviously, serious injury and, you know, I'd, I'd want to see how he's going in the preseason trials. I feel like Staggs is, he could have the potential to end up being a bit of a pod, but I just think like, there's too much risk there. He's got some, um, th- there's some value he's going to have to lose because he's, he's not going to have the goal kicking as much. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I Definitely couldn't start with him or probably not Bird either, but I'd be very interested in watching them. Do you think there's um, any chance that Staggs um, ends up with the goal kicking ahead of Osaka? Not really. I think Staggs only averaged like 70%, whereas Osaka is generally 80 85% kicker. Yep. Uh, the only other name is Jake Turpin is very interesting just because I'm, I know that Mac is on the bench, but you know, at 60 minutes or so, Turpin was still... He, he has some ability to, to generate some attacking stats, and he's actually quite cheap and available in the halves, I believe. So is I, I, I can't see a, a likely scenario where I'm going to have him in my team, but he's interesting at least for the dual position and the price, and yeah, that's all, about all I can say. Interesting ones to point out, but... Whilst we like doing a deep dive on the All-Stars podcast, we don't like getting into Queensland Cup, and that'll be the next one after Turpin. So let's let's move on. Mate, his hair. His haircut alone deserves a <laughs> Melbourne Storm's the, uh, the final team on the podcast to go through, um, and they've had quite the shake-up. So I I was chatting to Wilfred about this just prior to us recording. Um, I, you know, I've said the last couple of years that the Storm are going to regress, and the last two years they've, they've proved me wrong for the most part. What I will say is that, um, and I've made this point online and, and chatting to other guys as well, sometimes just it's a little bit misleading how well a team goes. So just because the Storm you know, were number one for so long last year, I don't think that that was 
as good as what it looked. Um, you know, I don't think that six years ago they would have been a number one team. I think if they played the same as they did last season, they would have maybe been a top four team or even fringed in some of the stronger years. I really don't think there was many strong teams last year, um, and I think that, that helped the Storm. I think a lot of teams got better this year, um, so I think that we'll see that hurt them. And Kevin Smith's a year older, and obviously they've got some guys that they've lost. So um, I do see this as a, a regression for, sh- for sure. There's no way I can see them being a, a top two team again. Um, now, new faces, they've only got Riley Jacks back, who was there before. But the guys that they've lost, Wilfred, Will Chambers, Solomon Carter, Joe Stimson, uh, Billy Walters, Curtis Scott, and Brady Croft. So they've lost basically, you know, two centers there. Um, I know Steve's done pretty well, but that back line isn't looking super good. Um, I, I'm really pretty low on the storm this year from a super coach perspective and also in a real life perspective. That's relative to them, you know, being a top side for so long. I'm not saying that they're going to be eighth or ninth or something. I still think they'll be in the, in the finals and stuff, but how do you feel about them this upcoming season? Yeah, look, I think, yeah, I, I've been in the same camp as you, predicting a storm regression, if not, you know, not not falling out of the eight or anything like that. But I, I've seen them finishing closer to fourth or fifth as opposed to first and second, like they just consistently do. It seems like a broken record, but this might finally be the year that they actually drop to fourth or fifth, <laughs> if not lower. You know, they still have Cam Smith. You can't discount that ever. They still have Craig Bellamy. And, you know, Pappenhausen looks like a genuine star. And I think that can count for a lot as well. Uh, you talk about the losses. I mean, Curtis Scott missed half the season. And Will Chambers was a shell of his old self. They, they um, wish Will Chambers be small games. Kind of, pretty much, hey. Because Seve was better than Chambers. And Olam was quite good in the back half of the season. So I don't feel like their back line's going to be significantly different. You from know what the other thing with the back line, though? The- is they've also got Vinavalu and Adokar going. Now, obviously, they're still going to play next year, but I would question a little bit both of those guys' mental strength when they know that they're, they're finishing up and it's their final season, especially considering, considering how Vinavalu played last season and yep. considering the, the reasons and everything around Adokar leaving. Like, do you think that that's going to play a bit of a part? Because they've got you know a few guys in that back line that are going after this season too. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it can be discounted. Uh, but having said that, if there's one cr- one coach I'd back to make sure that doesn't it doesn't happen, it's Bellamy. Yep. So I think they'd be okay. Uh, what I'm really interested in is in I think some of the predicted teams don't have Harry Grant anywhere near the top 17. I'd be really shocked if he's not there because you know the, all the hype about him. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'd be shocked if he's not in the 17 somewhere. I think he'll be on the Smith. bench. Yeah, I think so. And then Brandon Smith, will he won't play hooker. He'll be there as a middle forward. And, I mean, he was so good last year off the bench. It was just ridiculous how much energy he brought off the bench. And, uh, he, I mean, he, he developed a bit of a cult following for that reason. Uh, I think I can see more of that for him. Do you think that uh, he's going to end up, like, because obviously there's the rumors about Cam Smith playing halfback. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. It's uh, Genuinely, I, I don't know. Uh, but it kind of makes a bit of sense, right? Because... They want to use Harry Grant for sure, and maybe just that's the way they do it. I mean, Jerome Hughes, he's okay as a seven now and then, but I don't think he can play a whole season there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do end up with a, a mid-season shift away from Hughes at halfback. And, I mean, Hughes has played center in the past, like not much, but 
you know, that could still be a way they find a, find a way to put, plug him into the team. Well, let's talk about the guns um, and get, get into that. Cam Smith, we mentioned, he's obviously going to be the gun that you talk about. He went from a 64-point average in 2018 where we thought for super coach purposes he was doing the regression. I was really happy in 2018 and I managed buying Smith and not buying him. 2019, he had a 74-point average, so he shot straight back up to basically what he did in 2017. Uh, it was a pretty good resurgence, um, and he did that with a, a massive post-origin bang. So the first part of the season, he was pretty solid still at 66 a game, but I felt okay not having him. And then the middle of the season, he went up to 77, and he finished off on an 81-point average. Not having him on that run home, around 19 to 26, was a real killer. Um, particularly if you were struggling to get Damien Cook in your side and you had to go with Smith to Cook. Uh, that really stunned how well he kept playing because he rattled off four tons in five games, Smith, um, between round 17 and round 21, which was just a phenomenal showing for him. If he is at hooker, are we going to see the same Cameron Smith that we saw last year? And if he isn't at hooker and he's playing half, is he a viable option whatsoever? If he's playing half, then no, I can't see it. Like he, he does need his base stats still, unless the Storm are continue, going to continue being an actual powerhouse offensively. Like I think he needs his goal kicks too. I mean, I was really happy that I brought in Smith at the right time uh, through the buys, and I wrote him, you know, his good run for the rest of the season. And you know, I, I started with Cook, so I had Cook, and I think I had Nathaniel Roach as my backup hooker for a long time. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I had Jake Friend, and then he went down, so I had to shift Roach up there. So Jake Friend, <laughs> I think, became some other forward or whatever. But anyway, um, especially given they, they're not finishing first and third for overall points for the season, so yep. surprising. Given well, Hooker is generally a struggle, but Smith yeah. didn't play Origin, so he only had the one missed game with the one buy. Um, which was huge. Yeah, absolutely. So 24 games, but still, he was like the sixth highest averaging player as well. So it's not like he was, yeah. you know, letting you down generally. Do you <laughs> think he's going to slow down a bit? Like, it's inevitable. But is it enough to really knock him off as a top two, three hooker option? I don't think so. I, I can still see him being quite, quite up there. But uh, whether you start the season with him, I think there's a bit too much change right now. In the Storm team, I'd like to see how they go at the start before I jump on. Yeah, he's 686k, um, so I don't think there's any way that you can start with him at all. Um, he doesn't even play the first buy, which we haven't spoken about, but all three of these teams are actually off for the first buy. So if you yep. were... Part of buy planning is obviously, you know, if there's guys that you're considering and you're not sure about and you're choosing and two guys you feel the same about, I'll always go for the guy that's played the first buy because you can kind of save the trading if you want him for that. But none of these teams do. As far as the, the, the camps who start to the season, um, you know, they play Manly at Lotto Land, which is always a bit of a monotonous grudge fest of you know, fighting and 10-8 score lines. Um, and then they play the Cronulla Sharks away from home again. So that's two away games in a row. And the Sharks came to another one that's probably going to be a 10-8 score line. So they don't start the season that well. Um, they go to Amy Park in round three versus Penrith. Um, and then they have South in round four. So... I don't, I, round five, they obviously get that Gold Coast game, which is great. But I'd argue that first month of the season is, is as hard as anybody's as far as draw goes for the Storm. Um, and I don't think that's going to be good for Smith. He started last year only averaging about 60 points um, or just under. And you say, you know, only averaging. But for Smith, that's a fair bit below what he's done before. So there's no way I could start with him for the season. Um, I do expect a regression. 
I think that we're going to see like a 2018 type of season from him where he's like a you know, 64, 65 type of average and definitely can't pay for him for round one. Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm with you on that generally. The only thing I'd say is just to, to play devil's advocate a bit, uh, Smith is a really, really good average against the Seagulls. I don't know why. He just manages to step up for them. Yeah. I think it's to do with the fact he missed 2008. So he always wants to make sure, you know, if he'd been there in the grand final, there's no way that Manly would have beat him. I think he's pretty much just trying to <laughs> rub that in every time. Uh, and then the Panthers, they were the worst team against hookers last year. So, you know, it could be a, a good matchup potentially. Mm, well, interesting one to watch. Let's um, move on from him and chat about the other gun in the side, Munster. Munster's obviously the clear-cut second gun to talk about. Um, he's had a good season. At 69 points a game, it's equal his best, which was in 2016. So he did extremely well. He came in in 2018 and averaged 59 and went up a full 10 points to 2019. So it is basically a career year season for him. Um, how he did it, I really wasn't a fan of, though. And I used the Latrell example earlier in the podcast where Latrell was fine overall because the 70 average overall is still you know, giving you those overall points. But week to week in a head-to-head basis, he really hurt you. Munster was kind of the same. Um, he, he came in on fire and hit 105, and then he gave you a 41 and 55. Uh, then a couple of good games again, 88, 78, and then again another 40, 68, 46, and then he throws out a 159, and he gives you 45, 44. That was the story of his season, uh, and he seems to do that quite a bit. And I really don't like guys that are going to give you a, a few stinkers in a row or even four stinkers in a row and then give you a massive one. Um, and his couple of massive games, he had like 159, and 127, which were two of his three tons, they really inflated his average quite a bit. He only had a, he's got a 31 base, which is okay. I'm not the biggest Cam Munster fan at the best of times, but I'm probably a bit dirty, Wilfred, because every single time I've traded him in, he's disappointed me massively. I've just gotten him at the wrong time, um, and it always happens. I got him in for the, the New Zealand Warriors game in round 13, and I captained him straight up, and he threw up a 40. Uh, which just absolutely killed me. And that was on the downturn of my season where I said everything went wrong. Um, then he yeah. threw up a 91, um, and I think that I benched him. And then he threw up a 50 against the Roosters, and then he didn't play around 16. And it was just... I had him for that um, that that later game, and then I ended up just trading him out, I think, or something, because I was that angry. So I'm not a big Munster fan. He's an obvious gun, though, and he did have a big season on averages. His numbers do stack up. How do you feel about Munster for this season coming up? I think with Munster, the way he plays, the, his game is quite super coach friendly overall. And I just feel like for a half, he's got a pretty good floor. Like for him to, I, I know he's got a bunch of 40s, but he's that's it. That's his floor. He doesn't go below 40. If he's well, got I mean, a he didn't lot go of 40s, though. Yeah, and that's fair, but he'll offset that with a couple of big scores every now and then. So. Um, you know, he's definitely more for the overall players. Um, I certainly understand that for head-to-head, you don't really like the 40s so much, and you'd like to see that be 50-plus most of the time. But it's rare to find a non-goal-kicking half that's going to be able to get you 50 week in, week out. So for a non-goal-kicking half, I mean, that 40 floor is pretty damn good. So I don't blame anyone starting for Munster. He's, like I said, he's got a good super coach game. I haven't dug into the numbers really as to whether he goes better with a halfback next to him or with if, if he does better with Hughes next to him or whatever. But I mean, I can, I, from memory, I think his 127 in the back end of the season was with Hughes beside him. So who knows? 
I'd probably... 645k to start with him in round one. Yeah, I, I think that's the kicker. And, you know, I, I mean, I've got Milford at 5 eighth, right? So <laughs> <laughs> no space for Munster for me, but... I think he'll be a good pod. I don't think he'll be super highly owned, to be honest. I mean, I'd be surprised if his ownership is above 15%, um, maybe even 10%. He, he does have that tougher tougher draw as well. So I I definitely don't think you can get on. Um, but one of the things that I will say in Munster's favour, and this is also one of the things that I don't like about him, but it depends on whether you've got a glass half full or empty again. Um, you, you can't pick when he's going to go off and when he's going to go dud. You know, like, yeah, you got to play them every week for sure. Yeah, like I mean, the, the games that I was talking about that I was sort of excited for, and these are the sort of games that you target an attacking quality star gun half in Supercoach. Yeah, the Gold Coast Titans he scored fifty five. Uh, Warriors that game that I captained him for and traded him in for he scored forty. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the Bulldogs when they weren't playing well he scored forty four, and the week before when he played the Tigers who were playing poorly he scored forty five. Yeah, these are sides that he should have killed. Um, and he didn't at all. And then you have a look at um, you know, some of the games that he carved up. He threw 127 points on South in round 20. It's maddening trying to figure out when he's going to score well or not. And I guess that's a good thing because if you start with him, it doesn't really matter about his draw. He could come out and bust out a 90 average in the first month and you're ahead of everybody. The problem is, too, that you can't captain him any week, I don't think, because it's just too hard to pick it. Yeah. Look, I... Totally agree. Uh, I just feel I don't think he's a bad choice. I don't think he's a standout option. As you pointed out, the price is definitely up there. But uh, I think for all those reasons, he's not going to be highly owned. And I think, yeah, absolutely, he's very capable of dropping a 90 average from the outset. Having a look at the the risky guys, um, and we'll do this pretty quickly, um, I've basically written down two to five, and that's jersey numbers. Anyone two to five, two, three, four, or five for the Storm, Looks like a massive risk. Um, awkward price points. People will jump on Josh Adokar just for the name value. Um, yep. We spoke about that really tough draw. Josh Adokar is somebody who uh, only does well in those um, easier games. Normally he carves up. He averaged 53 points a game last year. He's almost 500k. There will be some coaches out there that will throw him in as a strike centre win. He's a huge risk, and just you have to stay away from those guys, I think, in that back line. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, he had a bit of decent run there and got a bit more expensive. Uh, and then he finished the season well as well. So, nah, he's got too much variance in him. He's got a low base. I couldn't go near Adokar at all. Nah, and the Storm don't have a lot of meat to talk about for Supercoach, so I'm just going to move on to one of my favourite players of this coming 2020 season. Uh, and he's a guy that we have as a cash cow, big value player. He's also a gun, though, and he's also an undervalued gun. Um, Ryan Pappenhausen is going to be huge this year. He, he's only 500k, uh, which is awesome. The only problem is he's fullback only, but to me, Wilfred, his numbers speak for themselves. When he was playing fullback for 80 minutes last season, he averaged 95 points a game. Um, that wasn't a huge sample size, but it was still a sample size of six games. Uh, he had massive um, tackle break ability and try scoring ability. For 500k, I actually think that he is my number one purchase for 2020, and I think he's a must-have. He was my third pick behind Payne Haas, Damien Cook, and then it was Pappenhausen. So, yeah, absolutely agree. And the thing um, that he's got on those guys, too, is it, the reason why I say he's number one. He, he's got 
250k of value compared to those guys. He's he's that much less than what they are to purchase. Yeah, absolutely. The only downside is obviously the position because there's so many other names you want to have, but at the price, I mean, I'd pick him ahead of Teddy, Turbo, Pong, or even, yeah, just too good of value. Uh, the only hesitation I have, and it's it's not going to stop me picking him, it's just he's tiny. And the way he throws his body around and the number of runs he takes, I, I think it's only a matter of time before he will get hurt. Hopefully at that point he's 750 grand and you can downgrade him to Teddy for 650 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. He is he is small. Um, the other thing as well, I guess, is that last year he had a PPM of 1.37. That's insane. I think that's off the back of the fact that he scored 120 in 30 minutes in in Magic Round. <laughs> I guess when when they put 60 on the Eels. Oh yeah, that was huge. yeah. So that, I think with his PPM of like four in that one game, it probably didn't didn't help his uh, overall season long PPM. No, and his, his numbers are just crazy. Like he averaged 38 minutes a game, and he's got three tons. I can't remember a player putting up as good in numbers as. Pappenhausen has, and never having a bad game. Like for Super Coach purposes, he didn't. Like even when he's come off the bench for small minutes, he's still carved up. And when he got his eighty-minute chances, you know, six of those chances, he, he carved every one of them. So yeah. it's just it, it's really hard to see him failing because he did it so many times last year. But yeah, he's he's really set the bar quite high. What I keep coming back to is that he's only five hundred k, so he doesn't have to do what he was doing in the number one jersey. You know, he's at five hundred k. He only has to do half of what he did last year and he's still going to be okay for his price. So I think that's where the biggest value in him lies. Um, do you think there's going to be any regression, uh, particularly for that first month when it might be a bit of a tougher draw, or do you think that he's just that good a player that he's just going to find the attack anyway? I mean, I don't think he's going to average 95, if you're asking that. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. He, he will definitely not average 95, but uh, look, he's... He's shown the potential to def- definitely be, you know, on par with the Teddy Turbo level at this point in time. I know it's small sample size, but I mean, he genuinely looks that good and explosive as a player, uh, and good for Super Coach as well. So, you know, I talked about before not, you know, getting carried away with small sample sizes, uh, and that's my only hesitation here. But at, again, as you said, the price too good to to not take that punt. I mean, if I'm going to pay 500 grand with the potential, he's going to average 70, 75 for the season. I'm all over that. Yeah, so am I. So it's it's a no-brainer. I, if if someone was to ask me, give me one guy that I have to have for next year, I'd say Papa all the way. So he's the number one guy to go in for me. I don't think you can go without him um, into next season, and that's even in a stack position. Like you said, I've, I've already put him ahead of Teddy. Um, and I'm, I'm putting him ahead of um, Turbo as well to start the season. I'm probably going to end up, I think, with a Ponga and Pappenhausen um, combo at fullback. One thing that I will say about him, I think that every team has to go the two-goat fullback option because of Pappenhausen. I think he's basically made it that you have to buy him, and then surely you have to start with one of the other three real big gun fullbacks as well. I've seen a few teams try and skimp on it, and even a few teams not go for Pappenhausen. Uh, what is your opinion? Do you reckon that you have to go for the two-gun fullbacks this year with all the quality there? I think it's the safe play. I could see Pappenhausen being very highly owned, and I could see not having one of the other gun fullbacks as being very risky. Uh, is there an option where you do, you, you know, you, you fade Paps and you also, you know, go the cheaper route? Uh, it could pay off, but I don't 
it's it's fair it's it's slow percentage basically so i wouldn't do that myself you know pong only if he gets goal kicking that's the only caveat i throw there but yeah if he does i'm i'm on the pong paps combo as well pong paps combo is going to be the winner next year wilfred um <laughs> there isn't really too many relevant guys in the storm side so was there anyone else that you wanted to touch on that you were interested in only just to talk about probably the edge back rollers. I mean, Kenny Bromwich had such a good season running off Munster. If he's going to continue playing 80 on the left edge, there's a good chance he will repeat. And he actually finished 11th overall for the season this year. And uh, you know, I, I was shocked when I first checked. I, first, I knew he went well. I just didn't think it was that good. It was really shocking watching it last year, and I just couldn't bring myself to, I couldn't bring myself to get him. And he had a couple of lulls as well. But yeah. averaging 64 a game for a back row was, was a good effort. I think that we've got more, more options this year, though. I'll say that. I think there's more options in the back row this year with guys like Crichton coming back into their roles and some other mids that are there. Yeah, I just don't think he's... Because off a career year, I just don't think he's going to have much value, if any, at all. So I wouldn't start with him. But I, I think he's a name to keep an eye on. Uh, the, the other interest is obviously Kafusi, who averaged 60. Didn't go so well with Croft, obviously, but... Yeah, new halfback, good chance he might actually do better. So something to keep in mind. Obviously, we've seen him be super coach relevant. So I just wouldn't, you know, wipe him as an option. I'd think about it and then consider it. Uh, I guess Vanuken kind of is interesting because he he did pretty well, but then you know he's had some injury issues or concussion issues, and that dropped his average and and also his price. So if you want to. You know, like an Aiden Tolman in your back, in your second row forward, uh, you could grab Finucane. So exciting to finish the pod on Wilfred. I need to just I needed you to do something better than that as a former champ, mate. <laughs> Look, if, if if Harry Grant is in the seventeen, he might actually be a, an actual sleeper you could chuck into your team. Yeah, ha- he, Harry Grant might be a cash cow. Yeah, he he could be a cash cow, especially if they end up resting. Um, resting some of their guys um, every few weeks and whatever. And we saw what Pappenhausen done off the bench as well for the Storm. So um, he's definitely one to watch too. Um, well, it's not even that. Like Harry Grant, and, and you know, obviously he's really, for, for NRL purposes, he's got a lot of hype about him. But last year, right, so this is obviously Q Cup, but he played 22 games as a hooker. He scored 14 tries and registered 21 try assists and 22 line break assists. It's pretty good, but it is Queensland Cup, so... Yeah, but even compared to, like, you compare that to other Queensland Cup stats, like, it's off the charts. You know, and this and this is in NRL fantasy, but he averaged 68.4, which I'm pretty sure that's pretty... that That's good <laughs> for fan, NRL fantasy. So. Oh, it's going to translate highly. Um, it's all it's going to be all about the minutes and opportunity, but because he's going to be at a low price, if he just gets some, that's possibly going to be enough. Yep, and again, if... if Smith does move to halfback to accommodate Harry Grant. I'm all over him. Oh, um, I know there's a lot of guys out there who will be on, on board as well, for sure. I think that everybody will be if he ends up um, taking Smith's spot as a starter, so that'll happen. Let's finish up on that, though, Wilfred. Um, thanks for jumping on. It was great to have you on again. Um, you've got your Champions podcast with Guy coming up soon as well. Um, that'll be up for download this weekend, I think. It might be up tomorrow, potentially. I'm not sure. Awesome. So they're all starting. All the podcasts are starting to drop, guys. So we're going to have a lot of content. Definitely. Um, thanks for jumping on, Wilfred. Uh, good luck. No. We'll, we'll get you on again during the season as well, I hope. 
yeah, definitely happy to, happy to come on, and uh, it's good fun having a chat for sure. <laughs> All right, cheers, mate. Cheers. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, first one of the uh, preseason pods. We'll have another one up next week uh, for sure. Definitely keep tuning in. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Uh, you can also uh, look out on the Facebook groups. We'll post some links in there. You can download on either SoundCloud or definitely on iTunes. Please subscribe as well there. You'll get them straight away as soon as they come out. Thanks for listening again. Great to be back in 2020. Good luck with your team builds, and we'll chat to you again soon.